Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. You are welcome here. We're desperate for Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let us become more aware of your presence. What if that was the posture of our heart every single time that we walked through those doors? Not, I wonder who's preaching today. Wonder what's for breakfast. Wonder what we're singing today. Wonder who I'm going to sit by. I hope they're not too weird. Let us become more aware of your presence. Jesus, we are here for you and nothing else. Amen? We are here for you. I, man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just forget to be with God. And let him delight over you. That maybe the fruits of the Spirit are not busyness and productivity, love, joy, peace, patience, just to be with him. What if that was our prayer every day as we started our day? God, let me become more aware of your presence. As you start your day as a stay-at-home parent with your kids or bringing them to school, every time you step into your car, every time you step into your workplace, every time you step into God's house, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. And I want more of you. I want more of you. I don't know what you came looking for today, but we're here after God. Amen? That's what we want more of today. If you didn't notice uh, just sitting here, but you are surrounded by God's word today. We are, we are uh, yeah, we are reading through the Bible, the whole Holy Bible in a year. We're going through start to finish. And as a part of that, we decided what better way to remind us of that to literally be surrounded by God's word. So if you didn't notice, you were surrounded today. If you're here in the room by a giant banner with God's word, amen. And uh, just we have an amazing, amazingly creative uh, staff and communications team that just, hey, let's do that. Let's, let's surround the worship center with God's word. So bonus, if the sermon's boring, you can just look around and study God's word. I'll just know because you'll be kind of like this all around, but it's all good. We're going through the year of the Bible and we're up to the gospel of Luke. And we're doing a series called Luke for Lent. And one of the many bonuses of going through the Bible kind of in a narrative form like we are and reading through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we're not cherry picking, we're not just pulling verses out of context, is that sometimes we can miss it. And if we read it all the way through, we'll start to see some themes emerge. Not like I'm going to pull this verse out and stick that on my Facebook or my Instagram page, you know, and just, oh, I know what that verse is about. But to read it in context, to read the story, and you start to see some meta-narratives, some grand themes, some grand stories, some common themes pop out. And as we do that in the last couple weeks that we've been in the Gospel of Luke, one of those major themes, the entire movement, the entire thrust of the Gospel of Luke is this, Jesus is for everybody. Amen? Jesus is for everybody. 
Jesus is for all people. What people? All people. Jesus is for all people. Now, it would be helpful to know the reason that Luke is focusing this on so much is that Luke's primary audience for his gospel, as opposed to some of the other gospel writers that were focused on a Jewish audience, Jesus' own people, Luke is writing to a primary Gentile audience, non-Jews, and he is not one of the original 12 disciples, but instead he was a traveling missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. And so Luke is reflecting back on all he saw and heard about Jesus, but he's doing it from the standpoint of people people that are brand new to this Jesus movement. He, he, is, he is traveling with Paul and he's seeing the gospel intersects, intersects different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds. People that have never considered themselves a part of the in crowd. People that are skeptical, Gentiles all over the Roman Empire that are thinking, really? I thought following this God, this Yahweh was just a Jewish thing. I thought it was just for Israel. But now Jesus has flung wide the doors open of the kingdom and said, it's for everybody. And so there's some hesitancy and some skepticism. And that's who Luke is writing to particularly. And I just wonder, have you ever felt like you're on the outside looking in? Have you ever feel like you've been pushed aside? That you're, you're, you're on the outside and not on the inside? Maybe because of something you've done? or something that's been done to you. Maybe because how you look or the color of your skin and sometimes what happens out in the world starts creeping in the church and you've had that experience at church as well. And you walk in and the first thing you think, I don't know if I belong here or not. I'm not a part of the family, I'm a spectator on the sideline. Because I don't know if I belong here. We have a way of drawing up lines between us and we say, well, there's us There's people like me, and then there's them. There's me, and then there's those people. You got those people? (laughs) Who are those people for you? How many emails have I started and then hit delete that I really wanted to send, right? How many times have I almost hit send on that text meant, nope, not going to do that? Because they're those people. You know those people that are always posting those things online, and you just want to tear into them? We have a way of drawing up our lines to separate ourselves, and, and we do this, and it starts at a very young age. Anybody remember choosing teams on the playground at recess, right? And everybody lines up, and maybe you didn't get to be a captain, and maybe you did, and this is all your fault. But <laughs> you're standing there, and you're like, there's 15 kids here. I'm going to get picked. I'm going to get picked at some point. But there's a big difference between being tolerated and being chosen. And some of you feel like, well, I'm just tolerated, and that'll kind of creep into the church as well. And here's the thing. As adults, it keeps going. We choose sides. We pick teams. We try to get in with the in crowd, and we're out of the art crowd, the out crowd, and we drop our lines, and we put up our walls and our barriers between us, black and white and brown and Republican and Democrat and young and old and city and suburb, even hawks and clones and bulldogs and panthers, and you go down the list, Right? And we put up our lines between us and we build these walls up around us. But what we see in the Gospel of Luke is a Jesus that came to tear down the very walls that you and I put up. Amen? That's the kind of Jesus that we have. If I had to, if I had to describe the type of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Luke, I don't know what your Jesus is like, but the Jesus I read about in the Gospel, he's a holy troublemaker. He is a holy troublemaker and he is getting into good trouble. You know what I'm talking about? He's getting into good trouble because he's flipping the world upside down, or should I say, putting the world right side up. He's tearing down the structures of the day, amen? This is the kind of Jesus that we have. He's tearing down those walls, and it starts 
right away. We're going to get to Luke 18, but before we get there, if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 2. This is going to be rather humorous for some of you because you're going to get there and you're going to be like, wait a minute, John, it's March. What in the world are we doing in the Christmas story? Well, there's a reason. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. So you know that the context, the story, right? The shepherds are out tending to their flocks and the angels come. Okay, this is a part of the Gospel of Luke 2. We're going to get to 18 And we pick up the story, but the angel said to them, and now let's read it together nice and loud, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That is the announcement. That is the announcement of Jesus' arrival. Luke is saying this is what Jesus is about from the very, very beginning. Everybody say good news. Say great joy. joy. Say all the people. All the people. That is the message of the gospel, and it doesn't end with a baby in a manger. That statement, that reality, that truth continues as the major theme of the gospel of Luke. And that's what we're going to dive into today. And don't miss the message. In Jesus' kingdom, outsiders are insiders, and insiders beware. Jesus' harshest criticism throughout the gospel of Luke and the others throughout his entire ministry is for self-righteous religious people that think they're on the inside because of their goodness instead of Jesus's goodness. Jesus isn't getting after the sinners and the the notorious sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, all the people that have been pushed aside. Jesus said, that's actually why I came. So if you believe that you have arrived somehow and that you are an insider and that you're in the holy huddle in the club, be careful because Jesus is hanging out with the outsiders. And that's where I want to be. So this theme continues and Luke is filled with story after story, particularly in Luke 18. So now, Luke 2, skip all the way to Luke 18. So we're back kind of three-fourths of the way through the gospel of Luke, and we encounter this story, Jesus is well into his ministry. We're going to start in verse 15. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so that he could touch them and bless them. This was a common tradition in the Jewish faith that parents would bring their children to a rabbi. It was a big deal. I mean, it was like get an autograph of a celebrity or something like that. So this is a big deal to have your kids actually encounter a rabbi. So you think everything would go great. Check it out. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, before you give the disciples uh, kind of a bad rap here, we, we give them a lot of flack, but think about it. Jesus is God in flesh, and he is speaking, okay? He is speaking, and the disciples are thinking, well, he, he, he's a busy man. He's, he's Jesus. He's the most important person in the world. He's only got three years to save the world. We don't need a bunch of small, sticky, slimy, annoying kids running up and getting in the way of that. We got better things to do, right? I mean, can you imagine in a church even when a pastor's speaking and some kids run up on this? I mean, well, we have to shut the whole thing down. Shoo, 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 right? Let's get on with more important things. So cut the disciples some slack. It's also the structure of the day. It's a patriarchal society. So you got men. I'm not saying this is right at all. It's actually completely wrong. It was men, women, and then a very, very distant third, maybe servants and slaves, and then kids. Not just to be seen and not heard, not seen, not heard. Nobody's. And watch what happens. 
I love how Mark's version put this. This story is in a few different Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 10, it says this. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Indignant. Not like, oh, bummer, you interrupted my sermon. Not, uh, not just mildly upset, but indignant. The word here in Mark 10's version of this story is anaganak teo. And it literally means to be violently upset. To be violently viscerally afflicted on the inside, like torn in two, like to be so moved to have your heart, to have your insides be crushed. There's only certain times where this word in the Greek is used throughout the Gospels, and one of them is right here. There's only a few times where Jesus' holy, righteous anger comes out, and what is it about in this moment? Kids. Deeper than that, about a group of people being pushed aside and labeled outsiders to a kingdom that's for everybody. For outsiders being pushed aside. I'm just going to pause right there because some of you are like, that's cute. Jesus loves the kids. What if we're all God's kids? And for some of you, this story isn't about a bunch of cute kids. It's about you. Because you have been the person at one time in your life or maybe sitting here right now here today that feels like you've been pushed aside. Some of you are the disciples that have drawn up lines and pushed people aside, and some of you are the ones that have been cast out. So where are you in the story? And we want our hearts to break for the things that Jesus' heart breaks for. A line has been drawn up, and somehow people are less important or welcomed in Jesus' kingdom. This is what gets him moved. And if we're going to be moved, if we're going to be violently afflicted by anything in the core of our being, in our gut, Please let us not have it be what, that, what pew you're sitting in or the color of the carpet or what's for breakfast or who's preaching or the style of the music. Let's be viscerally moved and passionate in this church about flinging wide open the doors to the kingdom of God for anybody. Amen? Let's that be our passion. Let's be very, 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 very careful where our righteous anger comes out. And I hope that it would be when the doors somehow are shut to people experiencing the kingdom of God. And we cheer, and I know that that was going to get a reaction. Woo! We love kids. Woo! They're annoying sometimes, but we love kids. And everybody's on board with that. Everybody loves, let's tear down the walls. Kids matter. But what happens when tearing down the walls of a church includes confronting your own biases? What happens when a part of becoming who God's called us to be as Hope Elam in this beloved community is not just the feel-good warm fuzzies for an hour a week? What if it comes by genuinely slowing down, befriending, and listening to people that are very, very different than us? And listening not to respond, but listening as if to understand and have your heart break. That's the dirty work. That's the hard work. That's the behind-the-scenes work. That's the unnoticed work that is happening in relationships with people sitting around you. And you have a choice whether to be a spectator or enter into the uncomfortableness of the kingdom. On a ganak teo, are you willing to have your heart break for the injustices? Are you willing to be viscerally afflicted for the injustices that face your brothers and sisters around you? Are you willing to be moved about the lines that have been built up that keep some people out and other people in? 
You thought, man, I'm coming today. I thought I was coming to a cute little worship service, and you had no idea that you were being invited to be a unity agent in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be a part of Hope Elam. Jesus says, you can get on board with that. Here's the reality. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Jesus comforts the afflicted. Oh, yeah. But he also afflicts the comfortable. Where are you at today? And I can say, honestly, I'm not going to preach a sermon like this and not, not be real with you. We like to keep it real around here. I've experienced both in the last two and a half years. This has been, helping lead this church has been one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. But by far the most rewarding. Because I've had to confront my own biases. And do the dirty work of saying, I messed up. I made a mistake. As as your pastors, we mess up. We make mistakes. We don't always get it right. I've gotten my own way. I've unintentionally drawn up lines. I've unintentionally hurt people and put up walls. And my heart breaks for that. Here's the difference. Out there, we say, I'm done with you. In here, there's something called grace. And... And at the front of that line is pastors that don't always get it right. In here, there's something called family. There's something called love where we lock arms with each other and say, I know I might hurt you. I know I might let you down. I know I don't know what I don't know. I know I have my blind spots and you do too, but we're going to link arms and we're not going to settle as Hope Elam for anything less than the kingdom of God. Amen? That's what we're about. That's what we're about. We're not always going to get it right. (laughs) And I will tell you this, and this is from personal experience. This isn't from reading a book or watching a YouTube video. This is like walking it. Some of us have been trained that at the moment we feel discomfort, we think uncomfortable is wrong. We think different is wrong. Some of us have been trained that at the moment of discomfort, we run away when actually the place of your greatest uncomfortableness is the place where Jesus wants to grow you the most. And fire can do two things. It can burn you, and some of you might have been burned by religion. Some of you might have been burned by the church, but you want to know what else fire can do if you stay in it? It can refine you. It can refine you. And you can become family. I'm not pulling any, this is hard. This is challenging stuff. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? But we're on this journey together. And as your pastors, as your leaders, we're not the sage on the stage. We're a guide on the side. And we're coming alongside of you and we're on this journey with you. Amen? We don't have it all figured out, but we're on the journey with you. Back to the story. We pick it up in verse 16. Jesus says, shoo, shoo. I got better things. No, I didn't say that. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. What if it wasn't about children? Who have you been getting in the way of? Who have you been saying, shoot, stop? Who have you been getting in the way of? 
Stop them. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those like these children. I tell you the truth. Receive this. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This isn't like, oh, you guys have a children's ministry. That's cute. Somebody else will do it. But this is big main church down here. Newsflash, what if that was big main church and we're just trying to catch up? Jesus doesn't tolerate the kids. He lifts them up. He chooses them. Remember that feeling on the playground? Jesus says, I'm not tolerating these kids. I'm lifting them up as examples. Be like them. The outsiders have become insiders because we've got good news, good news, great joy, all the people. So what would it look like to actually have a child-like, not child-ish, I said child-like faith? Why is Jesus lifting up these kids? Well, let's take it through that lens of good news, great joy, and all people. What is Luke getting at here? Let's take them one at a time. Number one, good news. Have you ever noticed that when you go up to a child, uh, grade school age, and you should try this sometime just for fun, you go up to them and you just look them in the eyes and say, hey, guess what? In my 15 years of ministry and going up to kids and saying, guess what? I've never had a kid respond, yeah. (laughs) No, I say, hey. I have no idea what I'm going to say after this, but I just go, hey, guess what? And they're like, what? I'm all in. There's eggs for breakfast. I knew it. Yeah, right? They're pumped. And they have the same capacity to receive and to give good news. I love it when kids come up and say, guess what? Guess what, right? Because kids have an incredible capacity to give and receive good news. Their hearts are open. They haven't given way to saying, I guess I'm going to be bitter and jaded forever. I guess that's my, well, this happened. No, Pastor John, you don't know what happened to me. And so this is just who I am. Is it just who you are or is it your coping mechanism? Bitterness, cynicism. Jesus says, Kids. You ever interview a kid and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, a cynic. (laughs) Kids have an incredible capacity for good news. Every day I'll ask my my kids, what was one great thing that happened at school today? Ten minutes later, they're still talking. And then this, and then this happened, and then this happened. It was great. You, You want to experience some good news. Man, hang out with kids. Hang out with kids. They have this incredible capacity. (laughs) Their fire hasn't gone out yet. Has yours? (laughs) Has yours? When's the last time that you were just wrecked by the grace of God? Like it was like so good. If that's God, you should answer it. Um, When's the last time that you heard the gospel, that you were just reading your word, or you were in worship, or you heard a sermon, or you in a small group, a Bible study, and you just stopped and you went, God is so good. This is so good. This news, it's so good. It's good news. When's the last time you were just moved and, and, and wrecked by that? And I'm not talking about being naive. I'm talking about being open. 
And there are three other stories in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18 alone. A tax collector, a desperate, a persistent widow, and a blind man that's healed by Jesus. And you couple that with some kids that have been pushed aside and shunned by society, the lowest ring of the ladder, and what you have is a common theme. Luke is using the literary technique of repetition, where he's telling different stories that are making the same point. And the gospel writers do this a lot, and it's to give you this message. The outsiders are actually insiders. They're, ho- they're open. There's a desperation for the good news. The tax collector doesn't believe that he can stand, that he's worthy to stand before a holy and righteous God. And so he beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. The widow doesn't give up. If you are struggling with prayer, read Luke 18 and the persistent widow. She does not give up in prayer. She's fighting for justice for her and her family. The blind man is regulated to being a life of a beggar, and you couple that with some kids that should be not even just not seen but not heard, but both. What do they have in common? People that are desperate for the good news of Jesus. Amazing grace is only amazing when you remember what it rescued you from. Because other than that, it's just like, here's a little boost, grace. Like, I'm a pretty good person. I've got it. I worship a lot. I read my Bible. I'm a pretty good person. Jesus, can you just sprinkle some uh, amazing grace dust on top and then I'll be good? No, it's all grace. It's all grace. Everything we have, everything that we have, our own sin and our death, the kingdom isn't those who just need a little boost. It's for those like all of us. And I get a little bit leery sometimes. Once in a while, people will come up to us as pastors and say, you know, You guys, you just talk about Jesus like all the time, like he lived and died and rose again and it's the same gospel story and in exchange for our sin and death, he gives us eternal life and new life and we get to live with him forever. Can't we move on to what's next or something deeper? And I'm always like, ooh, hang on. Because the moment that I lose my way and I stop being desperate for the amazing grace of God, we have missed it. Amen? I don't know about you, but I need to speak the gospel and have it spoken over me over and over and over every single day. And we forget that there is some evangelism that needs to take place inside the walls of the church because we forget who we are. Amen? We need to be reminded of that over and over and over. I I need to be reminded of that. Like, it's for John. I don't graduate from being desperate. And I don't want a day to go by where I don't believe the good news for John. Some people ask, like, wow, you guys are real up there and you're sharing your weaknesses and your, your shortcomings. And here's the deal. I just know myself too well to feel like it's anything about me, even though I sometimes I get tripped up on that. You just know who we're not. Sometimes I'm the disciple or the Pharisee that's pointing the finger or pushing him aside. But every day I have to remind myself I am one of those kids that was an outsider and is only an insider because Jesus welcomed me in. We, we are all those kids, right? It's his amazing grace. Good news. Everybody say good news. Everybody say great joy. Great joy. If you want a glimpse of pure joy, volunteer for our children's ministry. Upstairs, particularly when they go to the gym. If you don't know, we have a gym on the fourth floor, and you would think for those kids, it is like going to Disney World. I mean, it is 
we get to go to the gym. This is amazing. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. But several weeks ago, a couple, uh, about a month or so ago, I was up there playing basketball with the kids and just shooting around and goofing around. And like this group of five or six kids was like staring at me. And I'm like, you judging me? What's going on here, right? <laughs> Looking at me. I'm just shooting, getting a little sweat going, you know, on a Wednesday night. They look at me and they're like, Pastor John, you play basketball? And I'm like, yes, pastors have a life, believe it or not. And they're like, whoa, they're jumping up and down with joy. And I go, I'm going to blow your mind. Guess what? Pastor Brian, he plays basketball too. And they're like, whoa, this is incredible. Wow. I, I see it here at the church. I see it under my own roof, this incredible desire for joy. It was a rough moment. This was just about three or four days ago. And so my kids had the uncanny ability to just provide sermon illustrations particularly about joy. It had been a hard day, and I got after our seven-year-old, Evie, a little bit. I just kind of ripped into her a little bit because parents, you know, it's always about your kids, and it's never about your emotional health. (laughs) Wherever you are, there you are, and you bring yourself with you. So if you brought something from work, you're bringing it home, and you're giving it to your kids, right? good, bad, or ugly. And so I was, I was a little stressed out that day and I was bringing home, I was a little short, I was a little angry. And Evie was tickling our 10-year-old son Caleb from behind and just goofing around at, at their lockers that they have at home and just trying to have fun. And I said, Evie, you, you were on a one, you haven't been listening, you're on a two. And if you get to a three, I'm gonna send you, this is like four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know what I'm thinking with this consequence, but I said, you're gonna go to your room for the rest of the night. You're not gonna have dinner and you can go straight to bed. Because I guess we don't feed our kids or something like that. But <laughs> Like, well, even as I said it, I was like, ooh, that was a little harsh. Uh, My blood pressure is going up. I'm just, I'm so frustrated. And this seven-year-old girl turns around from her brother, stops what she's doing, pops the hip a little bit, and she looks at me and she says, Daddy, I kid you not, that's what she said, Daddy, you haven't taken the time to understand my heart. No, hang with me, hang with me. And she said, I am just trying to have some fun. And daddy, you need to calm down and just have a little bit of fun. (laughs) And she storms upstairs to her room and covers herself in her blankets. And I tell you this, I never hear God speak more clearly sometimes than those two little squirrels. I tell you what. And it was like God said in that moment, yeah, John, it's your joy. And you pass that off as somehow less than or less important in your faith journey. But you're missing it because you think that somehow everything has to be perfect for you to have joy. You're missing it, Pastor John. And so I go up, and parents, you should try this sometime. It's amazing when we actually do for our kids what we're asking them to do. When we actually model it. And I went up and I apologized to her. And I said, honey, I am so Sorry, you know what? You are so right. Daddy needs to have more joy. And I didn't offer any excuses. Amazing what happens when we model humility for our kids. And she got some tears in her eyes, and she hugged me, and we had a moment, and it was great. And I got frustrated at her 10 minutes later, but it was a beautiful moment. Because I was reminded that we need joy. And one of the first things to go when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're in pain, when you can't pay your rent, when you can't pay your bills, when your relationships are messed up, when your finances are messed up, when your marriage is messed up, right? One of the first things to go is your joy. Because I'm not thriving, I'm surviving. And ain't nobody got time for joy. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? 
I'm just trying to get by. I don't have any time for joy. When actually Jesus says, that's the very thing that you need. You need a fresh injection of my joy into your life this morning. That's what you need. Go to the next slide. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 15. He says this. Let's read it nice and loud together. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus, to you this morning, not a side project, not when everything gets lined up, but my joy for you in completion, like your joy bucket full, not empty, not halfway, but full, like overflowing. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. That word blessed is makarioi. Everybody say makarioi. Not macaroni and not the macarena, uh, macarena, in case you were keeping track of that. Macarioi, yes, it means happy, but dig a little bit deeper. No, this is like a Jesus is the anchor to my soul kind of joy. This is a I'm not going to ride the roller coaster in my circumstances kind of joy. A better definition is God's untouchable joy. Completely independent of life's changes and circumstances. Do you have that? Like a child like joy it might just be the very thing that you need the kind that kids have what if you didn't have to live constantly dissatisfied and I think that some of us are missing out on the joy of Jesus Christ because we are waiting for all of our preferences and opinions to be met first and Jesus says you can have my joy right in the middle of it. I know you feel like you're in the middle of a dark tunnel right now, but Jesus is the light in the middle of that tunnel. Not at the end of it when everything pans out and is the way that you want, but Macarioi, Jesus' untouchable joy. What if joy was a defining characteristic of Christians? What if you were talking to somebody like, I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. You know, what, what do you, well, I go to church on Sundays. Oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Man, you guys have the... You have so much, you have the most joy. I just love Christians. And we laugh and we giggle because we know that's not the case. Oh, Christians? Why y'all hate so much? Judgmental, condemning, hypocritical. Often in the church we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. No joy. No joy. Bunch of hypocrites. Hear my heart in this, and I want to be sensitive. Somebody says, ah, you guys, I'm not joining your church. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I said, that's all right. You can join us. We got room for one more. <laughs> and I don't mean that lightly. I mean, like, come jump in the ocean of God's grace with us, right? Like, we're like one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. Like that kind of a church, right? Where everybody's welcome, where the broken are Welcome. If you are looking for a perfect church, this is not it. But you, if you are looking for an imperfect church full of a bunch of broken people with a tremendous capacity for joy, welcome home. Welcome home. This is it. Everybody say good news. Say great joy. Say all people. All people. When I say all people, I mean all people. I got to tell you this story. This just popped into my head. We had some prayer warriors up here after the last service. I had a gentleman come up, and I remember his name because he said Chandler, like friends. 
Chandler, like friends. And Chandler comes up and he's tatted all the way down his arm and up his neck and on his face. And he said, you know how sometimes like when you're in a service and you feel like the Holy Spirit's reading your mail, you know, like you guys are talking from the front. It's like you were speaking right to me. He said, I looked around and I think I'm the only person in this entire church, like 300 people with a tattoo on the side of my face. And he said, I've been to some other places in the church where I'm like, everybody's staring at me. And I looked at him, I said, Chandler, that's what makes you unique. And God's got his eye on you, and I see you, and he sees you, and you are welcome here, brother. And I'm so glad that Chandler was here, right? Like when we say, when we say all people, like we mean all people. Sometimes you got to go to the movies to get a glimpse of this. My wife and I saw this movie, Jesus Revolution, a couple weeks ago. Have you heard of this? If you haven't seen it, it's still in the theater. you gotta, you got to check it out. And I, we got a big, big thing of pop and popcorn. And halfway through, I'm, I am weeping in my popcorn <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, because this transformation that this church goes through in this movie reminds me of you and us and what God is doing here. Not perfect, but broken, but a church for all people. And the second reason I was weeping, because I just, I just have this longing and this desire for us to never lose sight of being a church of radical grace. Oh, that big, big brick church on the corner, 25th and University. I don't, I don't care about all the ministries and programs and lights and music and everything. Oh, that's the church that loves radically. That's the church where you can come and be accepted. That, that's the church where you can come and join the Jesus movement. And so this movie tells the story of this church in Southern California during the, the Jesus movement in the, the 70s. And God is moving and he's reaching high school students and college students and young adults. And they're hungry for God. They're just looking for love in all the wrong places. And they're these, these hippies that are the Jesus. Raise your hand if you were there. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Young people looking for a church, looking for Jesus, but they're not finding it in the church. And Chuck Smith is this older pastor, and he's got a small declining church. Basically, the doors are shut because there's us and then there's them. And we're going to let hippies, Jesus people, into our church with, like, guitars, music with a beat, and drums, and electric guitar. I mean, devil music. I kid you not, right? We're going to let those kind of people inside of our church? And he's torn whether he's going to give way to the critics that says keep those people out or to fling wide the doors of the kingdom to everybody. Watch what happens in this short clip and then trailer. You'll see some other clips of the movie of what happens when it's good news of great joy for all people. Take a look. I want you to know that whether it's your first time here today or your hundredth time, you belong here. This place is for you. It's not our church. It's not the pastor's church. It's God's church. And because he, because he is the God of this church, if you feel ashamed or broken because of something that you've done or something that's been done to you, if you feel trapped in something that you've done or something that you're doing right now, there is grace and freedom available for you. You can belong 
here, like my friend Chandler that sat way up in the balcony this morning. Tatted up and all, man, I love it. You belong here. There's a place for you here. That is the message of Jesus to you today. That is the message of Luke 18 to some squirrely kids that came running to Jesus, to a tax collector that beat his chest, to the persistent widow, to a blind man, to some Jesus hippies in the 70s, and to you right now here today on March 26, 2023 at Hope Elam. You belong. Welcome home. This is a place for the broken. Amen? This is for you. All of those... uh, The thing that I loved about that movie is that they took their thirst to the right place, to the one that could quench their thirst, to like a living water, to the living well. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, and I'll end here. There's a story of an American farmer, a rancher, that traveled to the Australian outback to learn from the way that they do cattle ranching. And he was confused because when he got there, out in the outback, there was thousands of cattle but hardly any fences. And he was very confused, and he went up to the Australian cattle rancher, and he said, I don't understand how your cattle all just roam freely, but none of, none of them run away, and you don't have any fences. And he says, here, we don't build fences, we dig wells. Because the cattle are highly motivated to stay within close proximity to their source of life, to the wells. We dig Wells, And is it no wonder that in John chapter 4, Jesus sits at Jacob's well and declares, I am the living water. And if anyone is thirsty, come and drink and you will thirst no more. And I will satisfy your soul. I will satisfy your soul. Come and drink. Come and drink from this kingdom well. If you're broken, come. If you're hurting, come. If you're hungry, come. If you're thirsty, come and receive. Where the outsiders become insiders. We need to dig some kingdom wells. I mean, if we're going to be a church of good news, of great joy for all people, then we got to get digging. Amen? we got to dig some kingdom wells, and it's why we do what we do. It's why we do children's ministry and student ministry, college and young adult ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, care, prayer. It's why out there today there are uh, probably nine or ten local mission partners that are digging wells outside these walls in the city, in the neighborhoods, outside these walls so that people can experience the living water of Jesus. Go connect with them. Go see them. Go talk to them. They're faithfully digging wells and giving people a much-needed drink outside these walls of the living water. It's why we're going to have seven services in five days starting next Sunday on Palm Sunday because we want to create as many opportunities for people as possible to come and experience the living water. If you're broken, come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hurting, come. If you've been pushed aside, come. If you're having a great day, come. If you've had a terrible week, come. Because there is a well, and it is not Hope Elam. It is the love, it is the living water of Jesus Christ. Come and experience it. Amen? Amen? Whether you're online or in the room, let's stand together. Let's worship. Let's give God the praise and the glory that he deserves. Every praise to our God. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.